This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Is mold making you sick? Do you have mysterious health problems with no explanations? Mold can lurk without a trace or a scent. If this is happening where you spend time, you could be sick from mold and not even know it. Health problems from mold range from fatigue and frequent infections to kidney disease and even cancer. Find out how to spot mold sickness. Use Dr. Jill Krista's questionnaire to see if you're an unsuspecting target of mold. In her work, Dr. Jill Krista gives us the five proven tools to start our recovery from mold sickness. Learn what mold experts know. Arm yourself with reliable, effective ways to conquer mold, including which foods to eat, which ones to avoid, herbs that help, and more. Valeria interviews Dr. Jill Krista, the author of Break the Mold, Five Tools to Conquer Mold and Take Back Your Health. Dr. Jill Krista is a naturopathic doctor and one of the leading experts in the treatment of mold-related illnesses. Not only from her 20 years working with patients, but because toxic mold sprouted in her own home. That experience inspired her to write a book, Break the Mold. It clearly and simply outlines the tools that everyday people can use to conquer mold. Dr. Jill also trains doctors to become mold literate and supports mold canaries through her membership portal. Her motto, Break the Mold, Take back your health. Meet Dr. Jill on drkrista.com. Here is the interview with Dr. Jill Krista. In your own words, who is Jill Krista? Oh, I'm a big ball of light. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I put a a lot of intention in... um, in beaming and uncharging my inner light and then beaming it out in whatever way that means, if that's cooking food or helping patients or, you know, being with my family or being outdoors. Uh, I put a lot of intention into that. So I, I'm going to manifest and I'm a big ball of light. <laughs> so we'll be talking in a moment about some topics in your book, Break the Mode five tools to conquer mold and take back your health. But before that, I have these warm-up questions, as I mentioned off record. The first one for you, Dr. Jill, is the meaning of health. 
how do you define health? What is to be truly healthy to you? Mm, I am so glad you asked this question because it's so much more than physical wellness. Um, the way that I was trained as a naturopathic doctor was quite holistically. That was one of the tenets that drove, you know, even how we looked at certain certain diseases or pathologies, it was to look at the whole person. So that means body, mind, spirit, the full gamut. So there's a physical body, an emotional body, a spirit body, a mind, you know, so um, looking at all of those aspects um, and true health is where you, you have balance in all of those places. And I often ask a follow-up question, what does it look like to be balanced? Is that possible to be balanced all the time? <laughs> oh, I don't think so at all. Right. <laughs> and, you know, that's what, that's what we, the idea of coming to a doctor or, you know, doing your own personal work or those kind of things, it's to get a toolbox so that you can constantly tweak and adjust your, your leanings in all of those different bodies, you know, all of those different aspects of health. So I feel like health is really just kind of making adjustments. And the biggest one is on the inside. You know, I, I love the idea of as you love inside, you heal the inside and that emanates out to your, to your people, but first through your physical body and your health. So I think it's a balance is, a, is an ever, uh, ever adjusting dance. <laughs> And speaking of working on the inside, what is spirituality to you? Connection. Yeah, connection with whatever, whatever people want to give the name of something greater than ourselves, whether that's God or spirit or source or creator. I think that's, that's, um, keeping that connection. There's a, there's a saying from Christianity that if you feel like God is far away, you can be sure who moved. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. I mean, I, sometimes when you, when I'm feeling separated and not connected, I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm the one that needs to make the adjustment. here. <laughs> yeah. I love the way you said in your book, you say healing is messy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's cute. <laughs> so, and you also say that healing Uh, from chronic diseases is different from healing from acute diseases. So my question is, what's healing to you and how is it different, the kinds of healing? Yeah, so an acute illness, if you think of getting a cold, usually you have to kind of hole up, you know, not eat much food, drink a lot of water, get a lot of sleep, um, not move your body much, go into a rest mode so that your body can do what it needs to do. And, um, and healing then is coming out of that possibly even better. So definitely to the place where you were before you had that acute illness, but possibly even better mm. than when you went into that acute illness, because acute illnesses are a grand opportunity for us to clean our bodies. So you get a fever and you get to sweat out toxin and you don't eat much. So you get to rest your organs and they get to detoxify things that they can't get to on a daily basis when you're continuously eating and going through stresses and maybe not sleeping the best, maybe not breathing fully and you know, all of these different things. Um, and a chronic illness doesn't follow those same rules. And it's been just from working with patients who are frustrated that they don't get to just cuddle up on the couch under a blanket and get better. Right. When you're healing from a chronic illness, it is a, it's more of a fight. It's more of a push, push, push. And 
pushing yourself to eat the green vegetables, pushing yourself to get to bed on time, pushing yourself to move your body in any way that you can do it. Even if you're bed bound, doing toe points and flexes and, you know, lifting your legs and lifting your arms, lifting your neck or your head. And, you know, so all of these different things that even if you're bed bound, moving is important. And that's been frustrating for my patients that have been bed bound or wheelchair bound is that, wait a minute, I don't get, I don't get a break because I'm, I'm this affected. I should be the one who gets the break. And eventually systems do start running better, but it can be very messy. Like I have a, a picture in my book of a graph that I wrote for, I've written it for so many patients that I thought, I better just put this in my book. And, and it is, you know, this idea of, of that healing works in this linear way that as you make the right steps, you get rewarded with improved health at the same pace or the same measure. And that just isn't the way that it works. Um, and that can be frustrating for people. So if they're doing all of the hard work and they're starting to have a bad skin rash, well, that doesn't feel like a reward for all the hard work. But what I'm seeing from my training is if the deeper things are getting better and the surface stuff is getting worse, we are actually making progress. So an example is I give um, some of my patients who have food sensitivities and maybe they've had them their whole lives. They have terrible gut problems. Um, maybe as a child, it started as skin problems then went to sinus problems and then went to asthma. And now it's gone to joint pain. That's kind of a, a track that we see quite commonly. And I warn them, I say, okay, we found out you're sensitive to dairy or gluten or whatever it is. You need to go off of that food. But what I want you to do is watch for whatever it was in their history that was, was bad. So usually it's a skin rash. Skin is usually the last thing to express a deeper problem, especially with mold. Um, so I'll say, okay, you know, get out of the moldy house, get off the dairy or the gluten or both. Um, if that was, is what applied to that person and then call me when you get the skin rash, cause we're going to party. <laughs> and then it changes the expectation. You know, it changes, it, it sets you for the correct expectation, which is healing is messy. You know, sometimes things get a little worse, but at the same time as their skin got worse, the depression got worse, got better, yeah. their sleep got better, their gut got better. So, you know, there's, there are rewards, but it's not something that they're necessarily put, putting their finger on because that wasn't the thing that they wanted to get better. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How interesting what you said. Um, never heard of that before. The acute illnesses, they actually help us in some way to rest, to recover, or to replenish some of our organs. That makes sense. It kind of cleans us in some ways. Mm -hmm. mm. It's a cleaning opportunity. And so yeah. people, you know, that beat themselves up. I mean, there's a point you can be sick four times in a, in a cold season where I live and that's a problem, but you know, a cold a year, a good hearty cold is actually, uh, is seen as kind of a a positive in the way that I'm trained. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience, Dr. Krista? Wow. That's a big question. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, so I guess I can share what my, what I've learned from my teachers and, um, the purpose being joy. Wow. <laughs> In silence period. Right. Yeah. Mm. Right. What do you love most about being a woman? 
Oh, wow. Um, I think for, it's, it's two prong. Well, actually it's three prongs. So it's, it's complete, um, essence of the Virgin, the mother and the crone, you know, just that we get to go through all of those really cool phases in our lives and get to live each of them fully if you're lucky. Uh, and so you get to almost be three experiences in one body, which can be frustrating when right. there's hormone <laughs> changes and all those things. It's true. <laughs> yeah. But what a cool experience to be able to give birth and, you know, to, but, and to have sex first to create the child, that's a lot of fun as a female, but, you know, and then to be able to be a mom and move into a crone phase, which is what I'm moving into right now with my life. And it's just really amazing to watch how many me's I've been. And I think that women get more experience to do that than men do. Have you had any challenges for being a female, being a woman? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And that's where I think I get some of my sense of humor. <laughs> that's very helpful for sure. Yes. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Would you like to um, disclose some of them, those challenges? <laughs> um, well, I think I can, I can bring it back around to mold where when I was um, working with patients who had mold in their home and we, we had narrowed everything down to, um, this is something in their environment, you know, that I had patients that were doing everything perfectly, 110% hardest working patients that I've ever had. And they were still struggling. And so it's like, okay, this has to come down to something in your home. And I'm very lucky to live in a smaller town. And I got to do home visits for some of my sicker patients. Um, it was very nice as a naturopathic doctor to, to build that into my, because I own my own practice, I could do that. And I could build that in. And, and it was astounding to me after we found out there was some sort of mold or water problem in the home, calling in contractors and inspectors that were men, it tends to be a male dominated world and being completely blown off because I didn't know, I didn't have the language. I didn't know anything about construction. And in one of those patients, you know, this was ended up being a 10 year exposure that that just never got addressed. And it's a heartbreaker because, you know, I feel like if I was a man, would that have taken that long? Because it was talk, talking to people in a man's world. And, you know, medicine is very much a male dominated world as well. So I was kind of used to that in medicine, but I was really um, convinced that I didn't have a, a say in that environment. And then when it happened in my own home, I saw the same trends. And thankfully I had been through it with enough with patients that I kind of felt like, okay, wait a minute, I see what's going on here. You know, it's just this, it's not necessarily that they didn't respect me or treat me like a, you know, like a, with manners and respect and that kind of thing. It was just that I got perpetually blown off. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, that's a hard one, but Mm-hmm. What are the lessons that you have learned from 2020? Do you have a vision for a new reality or a new world? Mm-hmm. These are fun questions. This is so much more fun than talking about mold. <laughs> well, we'll be we'll get that in the moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so 2020, I have spent the bulk of it, um, I want to say the word working, but it it wasn't work. So I'm gonna say putting intention into really working on my, well, that I said work again on my inner light and continuing to, um, 
to devote time, attention, energy, resources to working on my inner, my inner self. And with the intention that as I correct the things on the inside of me, that is going to emanate out to the people around me and to the world around me. It's that whole butterfly effect kind of idea. And what I've spent the bulk of 2020 in a state of, of joy and bliss. And that's not normal. <laughs> I would say I'm very different than a lot of people. And I'm also very blessed that I am not worried about losing my job or my finances. Um, but what resonates with me, I've been seeking out a lot of spiritual, I, I, I started this even before 2020. So I think there was an intuitive mojo happening on the inside of me where, you know, for the last two or three years, I've been seeking out teachers and um, working on energy work and spirituality and light worker because I am a light worker. I've called to, been called to this planet to be a light worker. How I do that is through medicine, but you know the the what I'm delivering is is deeper than that. Um, and in that, my one of my teachers has a great story that she teaches, and the the. The take-home point is by healing what is altered inside of us, we heal the other people around us. And um, there's another teacher through the um, the book, the Course of Miracles, and Alan Cohen and different teachers like that that speak about this saying that we say that oh, I'll believe it when I see it, and how that's really a misstated part of that saying. And really it is, I will see it when I believe it. So true. Yeah. So true. It's so cool. Mm. So, you know, the, the vision for what's coming next. Oh, it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so my, my, um, work that I'm called to is to, to continue to write, remind people to believe it. Freedom. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is your understanding of that word? And what is to be free, finally? Hmm. That's a really difficult question for me to put words around. Um, that's really interesting. I think freedom for me has to do with being able to be yourself. To know yourself, first of all, which, you know, some of, oh, yeah. some of us have spent over 50 years figuring that out. <laughs> um, but also being able to yeah. be yourself and, you know, to love yourself enough to bring bring yourself along in, in your interactions. And being able to love yourself enough to bring it forward and to live by that wisdom of knowing who you are, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my dream for everybody is that their first thought they have when they wake up in the morning is, I'm enough. Do you believe in the practice of unconditional self-love? Oh, yeah. And I think that, that that really is a practice, like you said. <laughs> we get lots and lots and lots of opportunities just in, in how we speak to ourselves all day long um, with practicing that. So how did you become a writer? I was, I didn't ever think of myself as a writer. I became a writer because I had worked with these sick patients. Um, I live in an area where it, there's a lot of Lyme disease and I didn't realize that. I opened my practice as a family practice doc 
and um, found myself having these this subset of patients that weren't getting better and learned about Lyme disease and how much it can mimic and imitate other conditions and got trained in it and then started seeing successes with those patients except for this small set of that group that weren't getting better. And it turned out that in almost every one of those cases, there was a mold exposure currently or in their past that had changed their health. And um, so I, I kind of got into the mold research and realized that, boy, I really didn't understand mold illness. I understood it as an allergy problem. And that's only maybe 25% of the symptoms that I was seeing with my patients. So the, this whole other group of, of symptoms are related to the mold toxin and that exposure. So I became kind of known as like the mold lady in my little, <laughs> in my little sphere. And so I got pretty good at dealing with mold and I was lucky to have a lot of time to research um, and dedicated a lot of time to understanding what those mechanisms were and working with my patients. And then we had mold in our own home and it tricked me. Like we moved into a relatively new home. It didn't smell. That was one of the big things that was a misconception that I had was that um, moldy houses smelled moldy. Well, in our case, everything was trapped behind building material. So the part that smells moldy, it has to be exposed to oxygen into the indoor air for you to be able to smell it. So in our case, we were getting slowly poisoned. I live in a in an area that has four seasons and we moved in in the fall. It was a gorgeous fall. And as we were closing up the house for winter, we were increasing very slowly our exposure to these toxins and um, didn't really realize it was mold until February when we had the flood finally revealed itself to us. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm not going into menopause and my kids aren't, you know, all of these things that were happening with our family. And it was suddenly like, this is mold. I know what to do. And then I felt really duty bound because I did know what to do. I was like, wow, everybody needs to know this. And so I just, that's where I became an author because I felt driven to share the tools that I had because they're not, they're not rocket science when applied kind of in a systematic way. And these are all things everybody has access to through plant medicine and nutrients. And some people need pharmaceuticals and you need to, you know, use the guidance of a mold literate practitioner, but a lot of people can get better on their own with the right tools and system. So that's when I became an author. (laughs) How wonderful. I'm glad you did. (laughs) Thank you. You mentioned misconceptions about mold, one of which is smell, that we think Mm -hmm. that if it smells bad, then it might be mold. What are the other, some of the other misconceptions about mold? Um, I think that it's allergy only. So some people might be having sinus problems. Um, the, The typical, like if you look on the CDC, their definition of mold illness is pretty much spore based illness. So it's your body's reaction to exposure to spores. Now that's assuming those spores are available to the indoor air. And that can look like sinusitis, hay fever, allergies, post-nasal drip, sore throat, asthma, and hypersensitive lungs. Um, that, so the misconception then is if you go to your doctor and you're having those symptoms and they do a mold allergy test and it's fine, then they'll say, well, there can't be mold in your home. And that's actually a great misconception because you can have all of those symptoms from exposure to the mycotoxins and those spores could be um, 
trapped behind building materials. So you'll never mount an allergy reaction to them, but you are being affected by mold. Why did you choose to become a naturopathic doctor? Mm, I think it chose me. <laughs> um, you know, it's that whole thing of hearing the call. Um, truly, if I would have known how much money it was going to take to get this education and how much time it was going to take and the fact that once I graduated and if I wanted to live near where my family is, which is Wisconsin, and where we don't yet have licensure for what I do, so there's no recognition, no insurance coverage, no nothing, I'm not sure I really would have gone for it. <laughs> I am so happy for my education, but it's one of those things in, in hindsight, I think, wow, if I knew all of this, I'm not sure that I would have done it. So yeah, I can remember the day um, I was working in a in a hippie um, deli slash uh, cross-country ski slash herb store. It was just this used to be an artist um, community and it slowly transitioned into this kind of cool, I loved it store. That's why I worked there. And someone came up to me. I was just, you know, a, a college kid in my first year of college, I was just there making sandwiches. And she came up to me and she said, which of these herbs should my husband take for his liver cancer? And I thought, oh my gosh, my heart just broke for them because I thought, why isn't there someone that can tell them this? And I remember going to my, <laughs> my boss at the time who I adore. And I said, can you believe they asked me this question? And she said, oh, I help people with that all the time. I'm, I'm trained in herbal medicine. And I said, okay, that's awesome. I said, Wouldn't it be really cool if there was a doctor who knew this stuff? And she just got this like sparkle in her eyes. She ran back to her filing cabinet in her back office, brought out this huge three ring notebook that was full of dust and it was right out of the movies. She plopped it on the desk and it was like that, boom, you know, that yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah. And um, I opened it to the first page that I opened in the middle of the book. A friend of mine's herb company was on the page that the same page as the advertisement for the school I ended up going to. And it was kind of like, and she said, you can go to school for this. I have a whole binder of, of um, different trainings that I've done. And she never had the opportunity to go to this school because she had already had kids and you had to travel to Oregon. And so you had to move there. And I, you know, I was at the place in my life where I could do that. So yeah, it was just such a serendipitous moment. I was definitely led. And so, yeah, I think it found me. <laughs> yeah, I love that answer every time I hear it too. Yeah, being guided to do something, right? So how do we learn or the process of learning to recognize mold sickness? At the very beginning of your book, you have a questionnaire. So this is a kind of a test. Talk to me about that. And what are the challenges in recognizing, diagnosing um, mold sickness? So the, the challenges are that everybody's way to, to exhibit their mold sickness is, can look different. So um, it's important to understand then what, what, Apart or about the mold makes people sick. And that's the spores, spore fragments, the chemicals that happily living mold. I, I call it mold farts in my book because it's that's funny. <laughs> Try to get, you know, lightness everywhere we can. Right. Um, but you know, they're they're emitting all of this off-gassing. And that can be things like alcohol, so you can feel drunk, um, aldehydes, which makes you chemically sensitive. So there's all these chemicals that they're spitting out. But then if mold feels threatened, it will spit out these super duper toxic chemicals called mycotoxins. And it will do that to compete out its territory 
from other living things. So it's not really, we're not the target. It's trying to gas bomb out other molds and bacteria that want to move into that water damaged building. Um, but we definitely are affected by it. The intention of that toxin is to kill other living things. So when you realize that that's what the intention is, holy moly, that's big. The other thing about these toxins that makes them very poisonous is that they're lipid soluble or fat soluble, not water soluble. And what that means is that they can absorb into the body really quickly and they stay. <laughs> so you can accumulate them. And the areas that they tend to absorb into are nervous system, GI, skin, organs of detoxification, and hormones. So you can imagine now with that broad list that I just gave, that means that there could be lots and lots of different symptoms. The bulk of the symptoms that we see the most common is going to be fatigue. And that fatigue could look like... Um, for a competitive athlete, that they're having a hard time and their VO2 max is going down, that they can't work out as hard. Or for somebody who's really affected, it can be that they literally can't walk up a, a flight of stairs without getting winded. So there can be lots of variances of what that fatigue looks like, depending on what your health status is coming into your exposure. Um, and then, you know, being that they're lipid soluble, they can go into all these different tissues, if you are already kind of toxic or your nutritional status is not solid, or you have genetic um, susceptibility to mold toxins, you can display those symptoms a lot quicker than the other people in that environment. So fatigue is a biggie. Wow. So that's, it might be the number one symptom to look for or to be aware mm -hmm. of. I think, yeah. And you, wow. what we can explain that away is all kinds of things. You know, I'm getting older, um, I'm stressed, I didn't sleep very well, you know, all kinds of different things can be explained away. And that's what we did in our own house. We were explaining away all these symptoms on other things. We were pinning them on other things so that it made sense. Um, and yeah, that's, it's, mold is very sneaky. The other thing that I see a lot of people with mold have is um, anxiousness. And I'm careful not to say anxiety because a lot of people have an idea about what anxiety looks like, like a panic attack, but I'm talking about something that's just an inner sense of unsettled, restless, things aren't okay. Um, and, and that is consistent with almost every patient that I've worked with, with mold. How long does it take for the symptoms to appear? Yeah, and that's going to be different for everybody, but typically it's going to be, let's say that you moved into a moldy house and you're there, you know, you're getting the bulk of your exposure at nighttime and when we're, we're supposed to be repairing. Um, and if it's a work environment, it may take a little longer, but at a home environment, that's going to be about three to six months, depending on your susceptibility, your previous exposures, your nutritional status, um, and, you know, lot, like different how you came into that exposure. <laughs> yeah. So it yeah. depends, right? Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier Lyme disease. So what are the differences exactly, Dr. Krista, between Lyme disease and mold sickness? Yeah, I had a very hard time figuring this out in clinic. And that's why I created that questionnaire that's in the beginning of the book. Uh, that questionnaire is my clinical questionnaire. So as you, as you see, as you're sitting there looking at it, it's pretty detailed and it's long and, you know, <laughs> a lot going on in there. Um, but it helped me in practice quantify symptoms and Lyme and mold. If there was a Venn diagram, they cross each other very, very, very closely. 
what I've learned from my teacher, Dr. Richard Horowitz, who is a genius and a Lyme um, father of Lyme disease, he has, by looking at his questionnaire, which is what I, I inspired my questionnaire, his MSIDS Lyme questionnaire, he found that the, the cardinal symptom that, that distinguishes Lyme from any other co-infections that you would get with Lyme disease is that there's a migration of your symptom. So an example would be like if you had arthritis in your knee and suddenly the knee arthritis got a little bit better, but your first finger um, joint, first joint on your finger is suddenly swollen up. That's a classic Lyme disease thing. Mold doesn't do that. It doesn't wander around the body. It has a tendency to have ups and downs, so flares and calm, that are going to be more related to your exposure than to just these random migrations. So those would be some ways to kind of pull them apart. But they do both, they are both the classic um, imitators. They can imitate almost any condition. Any condition. Any, yeah. Oh, wow, that is um, how fascinating the world of life, <laughs> life itself is, right? Um, it's constantly creating and uh, mutating and transforming. Uh, mm -hmm. There's something interesting you said about avoidance. It's one of the five tools in your book. And you mentioned that mold sick people tend to be attracted to moldy spaces, foods. That is interesting. I'm wondering why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I am happy to share the five, the five tools. It's basically five steps or methods. So the first would be avoidance. Second is fundamentals. Third is repair, protect, sorry, protect and repair and then fight. And what that means is fight the mold that may have moved into your body. So yeah, this is the, so the reason I want to talk those, those um, steps through is that you do we do see that people that have been exposed to a water damage building go from being the affected person to the sick building themselves. It's almost like the mold moves into you. Um, and so people can become very fungally burdened, almost like they have a candida overgrowth, even if they didn't have overgrowth of candida. Candida is a yeast in our body that's normally, uh, we are very, we live very symbiotically with it. We need a certain percentage of that yeast in our intestines to do some of the work of digesting. And so candida is part of our normal microbiome. But once you've been exposed to a water damage building, that healthy microbiome and sinubiome and lung biome, they become bad actors and they start to act like a pathogenic biofilm. So what happens with that is they start to drive your thoughts. They start to drive your cravings. And the reason is that if you don't feed their colonies, they will start to die off and it makes you feel cruddy. You can feel like you're getting the flu once these colonies start to die off. And so you're, um, it starts to drive by um, just trying to avoid misery. You start to go toward things that will help those colonies survive in your body. Wow. Mm -hmm. That is scary, isn't it? I know. I know. Wow. Yeah, we're learning more about the microbiome and how much like we, oh. our brains are driven by what's going on in our gut, by the critters in our gut, you know? So I think it's really important that, um, that we, that we respect that. And it's such an, it goes back to what we talked about in the beginning. It's that inner outer harmony, you know, that 
by correcting what's inside of you, you're correcting things outside of you. By correcting what's inside of you, you're also correcting how you come into the world, what your choices are and how much you um, decide how much you're going to impact those around you and in which way, you know, and it's all microbiome stuff. Wonder if I think you mentioned in your book too about uh, plant-based diets. Would that be helpful? Well, it's interesting. Um, I have had the vegetarians and vegans in my practice have had a harder time recovering from mold than the non-vegans and vegetarians, and that is sort of it was shocking to me. And then I got into the research to try to figure out why that is. And one of the things that these mold mycotoxins can do is to impede protein synthesis. And that means skeletal muscle. That's kind of where my brain first went. But then when I really stopped to think about where are the proteins in our body, one of the big ones is heme. And that carries oxygen around. That's part of hemoglobin that carries oxygen around our bodies. Mold puts you in a perpetual low oxygen state. So the body starts to um, shift its fuel burning to more high protein, high fat, which seeds are a wonderful. So if you are a vegan or vegetarian listening, the ones that thrive the best eat a ton of seeds. So that's one way out of this. <laughs> um, right. But heme is wow. a, we get heme iron when eating animal meat. And so some of my patients actually started to eat fish, maybe two, two times a week, just to get enough heme so you could get oxygen moving around their tissues so you could get their mitochondria functioning again. That is amazing. So yeah, I thought it would help actually quite a lot, but um, not really. Isn't that wild? Yeah. But what, what vegans and vegetarians have going for them is that um, a lot of the inflammatory problem with mold is related to arachidonic acid, which we get from eating meat. So it's kind of this catch 22, you know, finding what First of all, what's your what's your ethical decision about what you're eating? Um, that has that has to reign, reign supreme. Um, and then within those constructs, making sure that we're optimizing and and the biggest optimization is good fats. And I would say that my vegans and vegetarians, their fat percentage from arachidonic to healthy fat was much better ratio than my meat eaters. So you know, each has its own pluses and negatives. You mentioned that indoor air quality is actually worse than outdoor. Yes. Yes. This has been, this has been shown time and time again. It probably depends on your particular environment. You know, if you're somebody that doesn't use a lot of candles and you're not using fake fragrances and chemicals for cleaning and that kind of thing, you're probably edging toward better than outdoor air especially if you have like air filters that are cleaning out that small ultrafine particulate out of the air. If you're good about dusting and vacuuming, you know, those kind of things make a huge difference in your health. Yeah. You mentioned um, prevention. That's something that's very important. I love the idea of preventing things from happening. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> we can't control life, so right. <laughs> but we try anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so prevention of mold, you mentioned dryness, uh, so that's a good thing. Sunlight, air movement, dust-free spaces, a lack of clutter, and mold-killing essential oils. Talk mm -hmm. to me about that one. <laughs> I love essential oils. They're, they're just amazing. <laughs> 
Um, not everybody who's been affected by mold can tolerate them because they are high in aldehydes. And then that's one of the, the mold farts that mold secretes is aldehyde. So it's not a tool for everybody. And again, going back to really trust yourself. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, wonderful, I'll just use essential oils. If you don't feel good around those essential oils, then they're not the tool for you. Um, yet <laughs> I do believe that we can get everybody's liver healthy enough to be able to tolerate them, but not everybody can. So, um, what is really amazing about essential oils is they do something that no other thing can do. And that is to neutralize mycotoxins as they're also killing mold spores. So if we see in, there've been a couple studies where if you expose Aspergillus fumigatus, which is one of the indoor molds, to one of the antifungal drugs called amphotericin B, it will kick up its production of the mycotoxin gliotoxin. So it will defend itself the minute it feels threatened. What is really cool about essential oils is they neutralize them. So there are a couple of plants that can do that too that we use in the fight stage like thyme, garlic. These are things that can actually calm. It's almost like it sings it a little love song before, (laughs) you know, we're not going to, you don't need to defend yourself. We're going to put things back into balance. Um, and that, yeah, I love that about essential oils. So the ones I have in my book, and I also have on YouTube, a video for how to make your own DIY, um, intranasal essential oil spray for treatment. Uh, all of them that I have in that video are, have been shown in studies to both kill mold, but also neutralize the mycotoxins, which is so cool. Yeah. And I'll have the link here for anyone who is interested to know more about it. Would you like to add anything or talk to me about the course that you have created to educate doctors about mold? Yeah, I am really on a mission to increase awareness about mold because I think it's behind many, many chronic diseases and cancers. Uh, my patients that with cancer that keep ending up on the wrong side of the statistics, we go looking for mold. Um, so yeah, I, I'm on a mission to expand literacy for mold. So I created a, a training course for medical doctors. It's at the medical doctor level. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're primary care trained, uh, this might be a course to consider. Um, you will be astounded. And I hear it time and time again how many mold sick patients you're missing in your practice. (laughs) So if anyone listening is primary care trained, that might be something to look out for. And if anyone listening is um, wondering if this might, if mold might be a thing for them, I created a quiz online on moldquiz.com and you can go through and find out, you know, it's not as comprehensive as the questionnaire, but it gives you sort of a, a possibility of whether it might be mold or not. And you get some results and I give you some tips about things that you might be able to do personally. It's I've tried to personalize the quiz as much as possible to what that person finds. Um, it'll, you'll get some ideas of what you might be able to do to, to start combating mold. Wonderful. You now have those links, those resource links um, with the podcast profile. Yeah. Thank you so much for your work. I love how genuine you are. love your presence and your mission in this reality. (laughs) Yeah. Likewise. I've really enjoyed your podcast. And I have a few more questions for you. Uh, Let me see. I'll ask you four of them. What is success to you these days? What is to be successful? Um, I think you nailed the, the, in the beginning, some of the words, freedom, health, health on all levels. Um, and being able to bring, bring yourself fully to, 
to situ every situation in your life. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in life as of today? Mm. I am an I am an optimist <laughs> to a fault. <laughs> so, yeah, I can definitely bite off more than I can chew. I can, you know, all those kind of things because I just have this. I live in a world of ultimate possibilities. So um, sometimes the this real world existence and that don't mesh. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? Mm, I don't think so. Yeah, lucky me. <laughs> yeah, I love the uh, how quick the yeah. answer was. No, no, I th right. I guess probably because I think about that. You know, if I uh, um, if a family member drops over and I have a lot of work to do, and I think, okay, if I die tomorrow, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the <laughs> work great. would still sit here, but I wouldn't get that time back. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> and my last question is: What are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Mm. I know for sure. I don't know a lot about it. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. For sure's. Uh, I, mm, I know that, that love is the antidote to fear. And pretty much that's about all I know is that the, the energy that drives this place where we are is love and like tapping into that is huge. Um, all the rest of it, I don't think is a for sure knowing. Thank you again for your beautiful presence. <laughs> Very light <laughs> in every way. I love the sense of humor because that's light too. It's so light to be in that environment when there is fun and just um, jokes. So thank you for that too, besides your mm -hmm. wisdom. Thank you so yeah, much. Yes, you bet. So my last technical question is, you mentioned before your website, please mention again, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Yeah, you can find me at drkrista.com. That's D-R-C-R-I-S-T-A.com. Um, working on getting my book into an audio format. And for those of you who have mold and reading is difficult. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, and I try to just put out there little, little tidbits that I'm um, realize are questions that keep coming up as I work with patients and, and people in my membership. Um, so I'll try to put that out there on social media. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Bye for now, Dr. Krista. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Jill Krista and her work, please visit drkrista.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. <laughs>